Hello all, and thank you for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. My podcast and I are members of the syndicated C-Suite Radio Network, and we are proud to bring to you executives and HR professionals ideas which are going to move your organization into the 21st century. My guest today is Eric Teresian, and this is part two of a conversation that we began last week. One of the things about Eric is I love the fact that he is so open and so honest about the struggles he's had as a HR leader, heading up diversity, inclusion, and walking the walk with leaders so that they can become better. And those people strategies that often sit on the shelf now come to life. Eric, this is part two of HR 2020. One of the struggles that HR departments have is, is that they are insular and that they're, the people strategies, the people processes, the people policies are not necessarily aligned to fuel the business. How do you make sure that they actually are connected, that your team from the, from the people who report to you all the way through the organization, the HR function, actually know what they need to do, when they need to do it to keep the business working in the area of people management. You have to, and I'm going to go right back to my vision and strategy and tactics conversation. We know the vision of the company. That should not change. Okay. That's something that you set. And once it's set, it should be pretty stable. Okay. Once you then go from there, you got to look at, and what are your strategies? So in HR, what are our HR strategies? So we're going to be better business partners. We're going to be less administrative. We're going to, you know, have accurate records, whatever they are, we lay them out. Then we ensure that all those things are moving us in the right direction and that everybody has a role in those. And then you add development on top of that. And I think part of the reason it works on my team is I have a passion for it, as you can tell, (laughs) and I drive it and I drive it hard and I'm just interested in helping people. I read in a book one time and I love the comment, the more you help other people's dreams come true, the more your dreams will come true. Right. I don't work on Eric's dreams. I work on everyone around me's dreams. And if I can deliver enough people's dreams, if I can impact enough people's lives in a positive fashion, then mine will move in a positive direction. What do you see as the future of HR? I mean, what are some of the things that, that that we need to change? Well, big question, right? And critical question. And, and I know that those who follow me know, and they've heard me, heard me pound on this a lot. We are pivoting. It, the pivots happened, and we have to come out of this differently. And we're going to be dramatically different than we used to be. And I think HR has a responsibility to lead right now. When I think about inclusion and diversity, and I've always had this belief that it's very hard to hate something you understand. Yes. Right? And I've had you know, we've all had the experiences and we've had different levels of experiences and people have had their own challenges and their own experiences. And, and everybody comes with more than just the instant little glimpse you see of them, Mm -hmm. right? Those are photographs, but people are film strips and people are movies and they're full media presentations. And it's hard. And that's a very hard thing to manage. I can remember vividly sitting down when I was at uh, Frito-Lay and my boss said, hey, I want you to take on D&I for the region. Eric, before you go too far, would you describe who you are and, and some of your background? Because 
this is a podcast. People really can't see you. So you have to draw a picture of who you are. You know, Deez, that's an interesting question. So I am Armenian. And being Armenian, my grandparents came to this country and they came here on the heels of a genocide. Mm. So my grandmother on my mom's side will tell you the stories or would have told you the stories about how she remembers her whole family being massacred and being slaughtered. Mm. And a Turkish lady took pity on her and hid my grandmother under a pile of dead children oh and her in. And the soldiers came and they were doing their job. And this lady grabbed my grandmother and said, no, no, this one is Turkish. She is my child. And that was why my grandmother was spared. My grandfather will tell you stories of him and his brothers walking from the mountains of Armenia through Europe to get to France, one staying in France and two getting on a boat and coming to the U.S. and not speaking a word of English and landing here in this country and trying to carve out something here. My grandmother on my dad's side was, remembers sleeping, and she would tell me these stories as a young child, and she remembers sleeping in her bed and hearing people break into the home and loud voices and yelling and screaming and gunshots and then being into an orphanage in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. You know, someone told my grandfather, there's a nice girl, she's in this orphanage, she's in Armenia. He went flew to Lebanon or drove boat to Lebanon, married my grandmother, came back here, and then they were married for 70 years. I mean, so it was just a different day and a different approach. Right, right, right. But that would stay with you, right? And that stays with you. And that's who, part of who I am. And that gives me a greater purpose for when I'm working because it keeps me more on a focus and it gives me a, a different purpose to life because there's a lot of people counting on me. And there's a lot of people that made sacrifices to give me the opportunity to go out there now and help a lot of people. Okay. And what you shared is really a common experience of all of us, that we're not the products of ourself, that old idea that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps doesn't really apply anymore. Every person is here because they stood on the shoulders of someone before them. And that's the thing that keeps us connected. And that's the thing that we really should understand is the common nature of being people um, and being and, and our collective power, I think. What I wanted to do with the diversity and inclusion function when I got handed the assignment. So I started calling around to find people who wanted to work on this and got a lot of phones slammed in my ear. No one wanted to be part of it. It had a very bad reputation. It was treated the wrong way by the previous group and no one really wanted to be part of it. So I sat down at my desk and I said, what are we really trying to accomplish with this? And what we're trying to accomplish is how do we make the company stronger by leveraging everybody at their maximum? Wow. Now I want all those unique experiences. I want all that tapestry because I'm going to weave all of those threads together to make a cloth. Right. So we moved to culture councils and we started to call it the Frito-Lay Culture Council. And the culture council was made up of groups, groups of people who maybe looked alike or who had a similar thing together or had a similar trait. Each of them now had the assignment to help the rest of the organization understand what is it about your background? What is it about your experiences? What is unique to your journey 
And how does that make us a stronger company? And let me give you an example, because people are always saying, well, okay, that's great. And yes, I get it. And, and I read it yeah, in the book. So it's I hard could... to, yeah, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah. how do you drive the bottom line? Right. So we had this grocery store, this gas station, and Frio-Lay was trying to get in there. They were trying to get their product in there, and they could not get in the store. They could not get this person to talk to them. No matter what they would try, no matter what they would do, they could not penetrate into the market. And I went by and <clears throat> the gas station owner was Lebanese. Um. And I said, well, here's what's, let me come on to a sales call with you. So I went on the sales call. We walked in. He said, hello, hello, how are you? And the first thing he said is, why don't you go grab yourself some drinks out of the cooler and come sit down back here with me? And the salesperson instinctively said, oh, no, 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 thank you. And I said, no, no, stop. Food in our culture is important. Mm -hmm. Sharing food is important. What he's telling you is, I want this to be more of a relationship than just business. Yes. You turn him down. He says, okay, this guy just wants to be pure business. I'll just purely do numbers with you. And you may or may not make my business. I said, go get the drinks. Go sit down. Have tea with the guy. The guy spends the first half hour talking to us about his dad and his sister and what's happening and coming over and the challenges and th this and how are your kids. And next thing you know, before the meeting is over, he told us, okay, just go do to my store whatever you think is right. Make my store the best. Mm -hmm. That's how you use culture to drive the business. Well, but see, none of us that, is and I think that's the, that's the crux right there. It's the fact that we all come from very unique perspectives. And I don't know that when we talk about inclusion, inclusion is about the ability, inclusion and belonging, is about the ability for me to be to feel comfortable enough that I can say what's on my mind and we talk about the idea and what that means but I am I don't have any concerns that if my idea is not accepted that there's going to be a hidden backlash as a as kind of a non-aware heterosexual I got a real learning one day when I was talking to one of my friends at work and he's homosexual and he's married to a man and they're, they have this wonderful committed relationship and they've had it for years. They probably have a healthier relationship than many people I know. And he still to this day is one of my great, great friends, even though we both have moved in different directions in our careers and different companies. But he said in passing to me one time, oh, well, so-and-so is a bit of a bigot, so I have to play the pronoun game. And I paused for a second and I said, wait a minute, what's the pronoun game? And he laughed at me. He goes, oh, that's right. You're straight. And I said, well, well, wait a minute. Help me. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. He says, well, when you're not straight, when you're not binary in your view of gender and sexuality, you have to play what's known as the pronoun game. I said, okay, tell me more. I'm learning. He said, when I speak about my husband, I have to switch my terms and say wife or say she or he and I have to use either gender neutral or swap the gender mm. like Rob wow I said how do you feel at the end of the day dehumanizing your spouse and he said well you're one of the few people who's ever asked me that question he goes but I feel like crap because mm -hmm. I love that man more than anybody mm -hmm. and he goes and when I have to when I have to change and change how I call him at work, 
you're right. It's de- it dehumanized. And they're doing this to make someone else comfortable. And, and I'm doing it for you. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. it for you. Yeah. And I care less about, you know, I, I should care more about him than I do about you. Yeah. But I have to be politically correct around you or else I won't be able to be here and do what I do and what I love. I said, well, that's not right. We have to, we have to endeavor to change that. And, then, and it's not going to take a year. You know, I didn't get I don't know. Wait a minute. Oh, come on. You don't think it's going to take a year? Wait yeah, a minute. Right? There are structures in place that make it such, you know, without a clear understanding of the nuances of what's going on, people hide because we have systems that are invisible and not transparent. Nine boxes. You know, the whole thing of succession planning. And do you tell people where they fit or what skills do they need? A, a hiring manager that comes to a recruiter and says, you know, the recruiter says, hey, you know, what, what skills do you need? And they're allowed to be able to say, I don't know, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all black boxes of, I don't know what that means. And I don't know what that means for me. And I think a malicious person uses that gray to move an agenda along. I don't know if it's malicious as much as it is just lazy thinking. And we well, no, it's lazy, but lazy. I'm saying it opens the door to a malicious person to yeah. use it yeah. maliciously. Yeah. You know, I, here, think about this level. I was, again, at Pepsi, and we went out to dinner as a whole big group of people. And one of the um, zone managers ordered a rum and Coke. And the vice president who was with us from Dallas stopped and said, no, that's not what she wants. And she goes, no, 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 I really, I really like them. I, I want a rum and Coke. He goes, no, that is not what you want. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, yeah, I really, I do. I really do. He says, as soon as Coke sends you a paycheck every two weeks, you're yep. free to drink it. Okay. Little event. Ha ha. Funny, funny, funny. The guy was dead serious about it. Right. I'm telling you, one year later, we are in a performance leveling session, a nine box. We all have done a million of them. Her name came up and he said, is she the one that ordered the Coke? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if something like that is going to stick, yeah. What, are, what other biases are sticking for yep. people? Yeah. Oh, is he the one who said he has a husband? Oh, is he said, and I don't think people set out to hurt other people. I don't think they realize the harm of their words at times, but we're not in a world where you can have that luxury anymore. Yeah. yeah. We're in a world now where you've got to think about that kind of stuff and you've got to think about people and you've got to think about the whole of everything. I always say that it's not the last straw that broke the camel's back. It's the 500 pounds that were dumped on him before that last straw. Yep. And it's important for us to understand that regardless of, of who you are, there's a level of what, you know, in my community, we call code switching. So I have to, I have to switch my language, switch who I am, switch how I approach. Women have to switch how they approach when we walk in the door to make other people comfortable. Yep. I don't think that's ever going to go away until we recognize and admit that all of us are doing it. And we're doing it because we don't want to be judged on, quote unquote, what we believe is the wrong thing or something that is out of our control. Humans need predictability and control. When you take either one or both of those away, we go either through psychological, feeling psychologically unsafe and fear shows up or physically unsafe and fear shows up. And when fear shows up, the body just reacts shuts down your cognitive thinking and you start moving from a place of emotions, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And that's what keeps, that's what holds organizations back. 
I can live with somebody who says, like you did, teach me. I, I, whoa, what, what do you mean pronoun game? Uh, I, I don't know what that means. But it starts out in their mind as, you know what I'm doing and, right. and you're okay with it. But people have to not be afraid to say, I don't know what the problem is. Help me with the problem. And that needs to be okay. And I don't think and it's okay in our society part, right now. I need to be okay being conscious enough to be able to sit and explain it to you from a place of you're curious, not a place of you're trying to uh, trick me or offend yeah. me or, or, or you should know better. I think you nailed it, Denise, because I think a lot of people right now take anyone questioning something as they're accepting it, which they're not. They're just questioning it. And they don't understand, and they may not have ever had to face it. So how could they understand? Yeah. And sometimes your statements of rage can be equally as discriminatory to the person because that person doesn't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a tricky subject right now, and I don't know the answer. I mean, I don't know that anyone knows the answer. I don't know if it's just going to be a growth thing that we need to to grow and mature through, and the the world needs to adapt and change. Well, I can't fix the world but I do know what does work in workplaces. And I'm, I think you do too, because you've been in many great companies and you've been in companies that are probably second tier. I'm not gonna say they were bad companies, but yeah. they probably weren't first tier um, companies. And the one thing that does change is, is our ability to have a culture in which people can ask dumb questions. And that we understand that the same processes that create new products and get new customers, open new markets, are the same processes that cause a culture to be more inclusive, belonging, and HR to actually fuel the business, which is what it's supposed to do, because people are the ones that fuel the business. And it is that ability for, you know, when we're sitting in meetings, business meetings, and we're talking about we're losing market share, or now that we are closed, and we've got to figure out how to quickly figure out, um, you know, how do we stop the bleeding? Anybody who comes in those meetings and say, hey, I don't know how to do it, probably yeah. going to have a job very long. They shouldn't, we'll right? We'll tolerate and that, but we'll certainly tolerate Oh, well, we've got a diversity issue. We need to figure out how to move DNI. We need to figure out how to get more employee engagement or get their brain power in, involved in this. We'll, we'll tolerate, oh, I don't really know how to do that and go, oh, yeah, it is pretty tough. And Yeah, well, I guess we shouldn't do it. I mean, it's sensitive, so don't, don't touch it. And we teach employees that you're not willing to deal with the really hard stuff, that yeah. your values are such that as long as it's about the dollar, You'll, you'll play hardball all day. You'll find a solution. And I shouldn't say hardball, but you will work to find a solution. But if it's about value and employees, oh, that's too hard. I had a division vice president ask me, he goes, you know, we had a group over in Seattle and they're really struggling right now. We're getting engagement scores are dropping and there's a lot of noise and there's union um, issues starting to rise up. Can you get up there and tell me what's wrong with them? What's wrong with those employees? And I said to myself, well, Wayne, we got the first, I'll tell you what the first issue is. It's not what's wrong with those employees. It's what's wrong with those leaders. Yeah. So when you, when you ask me about, you know, what's, what's culture? Well, what are, what's our employees culture and, you know, how do we handle all of these issues that are going on in the world right now inside of our cultures? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, it's not the employees issue. Mm -hmm. It's leadership's issues mm -hmm. and leadership has to look at their biases and look at their 
preconceived notions and what are their, what are they coming to work with? And then that'll tell us what our employees are dealing with. How do you stay fresh? How do you personal, how do you personally stay fresh? Because, you know, in a world that moves as fast as we are, you could get lost it sometimes. Yeah. So when you say that, I think two things, the one thing is how do I keep my energy level and how do I keep my focus and my drive? Some days that's harder than others. So there's, there are certain days where you just don't have it and you have to be okay saying, Hey, it's not clicking today. And just let that day ride. What you can't be okay is letting that day create another one and another one and another one because a strikeout's one thing, a batting slumps, another, and a bad career is a whole different thing. Yeah. Well said from the energy level from a HR and the HR space. I have a passion for people and I have a passion for this. So I stay extremely active. I blog a lot. I write a lot. I get involved in the conversation. I look for conversations. I jump in. I give my take. I also believe people need confidence. And if I see someone take a position or take a, a read on something, I always like to jump in there and encourage them and let them get that good positive feedback. So they're encouraged to continue to do more and to grow. And I think we just have to be very active in the narrative. And, and shaping a narrative. So, so who coaches you? Well, I don't, I consider myself to have a board of directors. Okay. So I have a few different directors who I work with and I ask everybody for help. I have no shame in that. I don't mind asking people for help. I don't mind asking people for what they think or how do you think this worked or how do you think that went? And I put those pieces together. I have a lot of people I work with who I consider dear friends, CEOs on down, and I don't have shame in asking them and everyone wants to help and Mm -hmm. just people don't know where to help. So I don't mind asking, Mm -hmm. but I like to think of, I don't like the term mentor anymore because I think a lot of people take mentor to mean advocate. And they think a mentor is going to open doors and put you in roles. And that's not what a mentor should do. Right. They're advisors. And that board of directors, or your board of advisors or your coaches should be the ones just encouraging you. They should be the ear that you hear. You know, I'm extremely fortunate. My wife was also an HR professional. My wife is extremely good at this. I have a voice to come to who can listen and understand where I don't have to lay a lot of groundwork. She gets it right off the scoop and we can go right into the meat of the issue. How do you pick people to be on your board of advisors? First, I look to give before I look to take. Okay. So I like to have helped and I don't, you know, I don't want to put a formula out there and make it sound contrived, right? But I like to help someone with 10, 15 things before I ask them to help me with something. Uh That's just, that's just my nature. Okay. But then once I get comfortable with someone, I don't, I don't mind asking them and I don't mind telling them because I think it's actually a very, it's a nice ask, right? So I have a, the CEO who I worked with recently and I went and I asked him, I said, Hey, Vilma, I'm, you know, looking at this business and how do I structure this thing? Do you mind helping me? Cause he's very process oriented and he's very good at that kind of putting together the whole process piece of it. Yeah. I'd be, be proud to help you. Wow. Who wouldn't want to help you? Eric, switching questions. What would you tell your 12 year old self? tell you a funny thing and you might you might see this already but when i was a young man my aunt used to call me the mayor oh so i used to apparently walk around the subdivision as a very very young man and talk to everybody 
go across, I would go to houses and introduce myself and tell them who I was and ask them if I could, if they needed my help with anything and that I would be available for them. And that's, that was my nickname. Well, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of theories about adult growth and whatnot that says who you were between the ages of about seven and 14 is who is the fun foundation of who you'll become when you're 60. Yeah. And I can remember being with my dad and I was always with my dad and, and he would talk to everybody about everything and these long conversations. And you remember being a young child, right? And you'd be like, oh my goodness, again, I just go, we're now, we're getting in this whole thing again now. And I look at my son and daughter and they're five and three. And sometimes I see that same look on their face. <laughs> realize everything comes back around. Oh, Eric, this has been great. And, uh, Oh, no, I really enjoyed it. You, yeah, you make this, uh, you, you, you make this HR thing seem so easy. Appreciate the clarity of you call it your visions and vision and values. I think it's the result of a lot of thinking about it and seeing how what works and knowing who you are. You know, it's, it's in many ways it's that whole emotional intelligence, and I don't mean to bring in other theories and whatnot. But the things I like about it is it's really about two, two sides of the coin, right? Everything has two sides. Yeah. Everything has two sides. One is about do you understand who you are and what you want to do and how you show up and imp impact other people? And then can you help other people understand who they are in groups? How, they need, how are they showing up and what's their vision? And too many people I talk to, when I say, what are your values? They go to something like, you know, strength finders or... Simon Sinek's why or something else and I and and I think the fact that we don't first decide who we are makes it difficult to navigate and find our way in a world where likes and follows and private rooms where nine boxes and succession planning and compensation is hidden from the organization it makes it too easy for us to default to I have little power and therefore you're going to take everything. Yeah. Well, we're in a world of valid. We live in a world of validation, right? And mm -hmm. you know, the old joke about everyone getting a trophy, but I think that has morphed and evolved into everyone needing a like and everyone, you know, yeah. geez, you got to hit that like button and you can't hit it fast enough. And who's the first one to like it. And you know, what did this person say and how did that person treat this? And, mm -hmm. And I think if we would spend the same amount of energy saying, hey, what did I do to make that person's life a little better today? Mm -hmm. oh, wow, wow, that would change the world. That and I don't, need to, I don't need to help everybody. I just need to be my brother's keeper, my sister's keeper. And if I can just help the one or two people around me and they help one or two, you know, then you get the, the law of... Uh, you know, yeah. right? And I think that's, that's what we really should be focusing on, not getting, um, you know, thousands upon thousands of likes from people who really don't know you, but having uh, people who do know you, who are in relationship with you, and care enough about you to help you think through some of the tough things that you're struggling with. And tough is relative, right? What's tough for you may not be tough for me. But somebody's got to be there to listen and to offer a piece of advice or a perspective that might help you find the answer that you want. 
Yeah, and the, the road I walked is not the road you walked, but both of those roads led us to this point. So they both have to be valid, and they're both yeah. good roads. Yeah, that's exactly right. So with that, um, I want to thank you for being on my show, Eric. How can thank people you. get a hold of you? Well, hey, I'd love to continue the narrative, continue the discussion. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am on there every day, and I try to stay very, very active. It's Eric Tarigian, T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, Eric Tarigian, or you can go to www.tarigian.com where you'll find my blog and you'll find a link to my YouTube channel and some of my programs that I have. Come on down, jump into the narrative. I'd love to have some conversations. And only through conversation can we change the results that we've been getting. With that, guys, that's a wrap. If you like it, share. And if you don't like it, share it too, because it will generate a conversation that may change the life of someone who's important to you. Remember, this is part two of a two-part conversation. If you missed part one, just go back down into the queue and you will see my conversation with Eric. Until next week, that's a wrap. You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Music provided by Ivan G. Hall. Let me thank the CCB Radio for hosting me on their network. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And also check out the other podcasts on C-Suite Radio, the largest network focused on helping executives do better and be better. As always, let me know what you're doing, what you're facing, and what you're struggling with as you try to close the gap, creating a pathway from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.